You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual I've been to Australia a few times, and when you're going to visit Australia, people warn you about the spiders and the crocodiles and the sharks, but no one warns you about the electricians. Ryan Andrew King may be Australia's most famous electrician. Ah, there's no maybe about it. He is Australia's most famous electrician. Ryan Andrew King makes headlines. Headlines like this one from the July 16th edition of the Brisbane Times. Electrician who cut off men's testicles in backyard surgery walks free. King was arrested a year ago after getting caught removing the testicles of a 26-year-old man, which he did in a hotel room, not a backyard, a hotel room. And then he uploaded video to an online eunuch forum, the same online eunuch forum where King met his quote-unquote victim. And I'm putting victim in quotes here for reasons that we'll get to in a minute. King's quote-unquote victim suffered uncontrollable bleeding, as you sometimes do when your balls get cut off, and had to be taken to the hospital, and that's how King came to the attention of the authorities. And it turns out this wasn't the first time King served as a cutter, as men like King are called in eunuch forums. King told his 26-year-old quote-unquote victim that he'd cut 10 other guys, but police were only able to find one other quote-unquote victim, a 65-year-old man, who'd asked King to remove one of his balls and his penis and made a follow-up appointment with King to have his other ball removed. Follow-up appointment that King had to cancel because King was in jail. You know, I record the intro on Monday afternoon and sometimes I think about everyone out there who listens to the show first thing in the morning on Tuesday. So while we're not big into content warnings around here, we do use them, but we use them sparingly. I got to say, if you're eating breakfast right now and you're still listening, you might want to pause the show and maybe listen to the rest after lunch. Anyway, the police, when they went to King's apartment, they found one of that man's balls, the 65-year-old's balls, one of them, in King's freezer. But I got to say, contra the Brisbane Times, King didn't get away scot-free He was charged with grievous bodily harm and convicted and sentenced to a year in prison and three years probation for cutting off the 26-year-old's balls and given a 3.5-year suspended sentence for cutting off the 65-year-old's penis and one of his balls. And then, yeah, he was released because he'd already spent a year in prison awaiting trial. So while he did walk out of court last week, he didn't exactly walk free. Dude spent a year in jail and could be sent back if he violates the terms of his probation, which weren't spelled out in any of the news stories I read, but presumably include, hey, don't cut any more balls or dicks off any other dudes. Maybe King would have gotten a bit of a harsher sentence if it weren't for the victim statements, the statements from the two men that Judge Richard Jones actually had to read out in court. And those victim statements... They were basically rave reviews. One of King's quote-unquote victims said the procedure was a great benefit to my health and well-being, and the other said he was eternally grateful to King for making it possible to enjoy life. Prosecutors, of course, legitimately argued that consent and delight at the outcome on the part of King's victims was not a defense 
These sorts of backyard surgeries, amateur surgeries are inherently dangerous. We can't have hobbyists doing heart transplants in hotel rooms. And I got to say, increasingly, men who want this done, men who want their testicles removed and have the money, don't need to resort to amateur cutters lurking in eunuch forums. There are surgeons out there who will do this. Some clinics that perform gender confirmation surgeries for trans people, including orchiectomies and nullifications, that is castrations and removal of the penis, they'll perform these operations for people who identify as non-binary and want their bodies to reflect that they are neither male nor female. But, you know, having spent a little bit of time on these eunuch forums very recently, most of the people on them, most of the guys on them seeking to have their testicles removed aren't envies. They're kinkies. Some may have body integrity identity disorder. That's people who suffer from a longing to have a healthy limb removed. But most of what I've seen were posts by perverts. And I say that in the sex positive sense of the term. I am pro pervert. I am a pervert. After I am done recording this intro, I'm going to go design a pervert pride flag at myflag.lgbt. So I'm guessing that if one of these guys from one of these forums walked into Align Surgical Associates in San Francisco where non-binary people can get orchiectomies and admitted that having their testicles removed was not something they needed to do to bring their body into alignment with their gender identity, but was their ultimate sexual fantasy, I'm thinking they would be turned away, which means cutters, guys like Ryan Andrew King, are going to keep meeting men on eunuch forums who want their balls cut off. Preferably by someone who's just as turned on by the idea of cutting someone's balls off as they are turned on by the idea of having their balls cut off. And so that means we may see more victim impact statements in the future, like the ones filed by King's alleged victims. Honestly, I didn't feel bad for King's victims after reading their victim statements. Yet, I walked away from these stories and I kind of spent a whole day reading about this guy, King, this electrician dude. I was worried that he might have other potential victims out there. And I don't mean the 10 other guys King claimed to have cut that the cops couldn't find. I was worried about other guys named Ryan Andrew King. You know how the internet sometimes makes mistakes? How someone does something terrible and then someone with the same name winds up getting dragged all over Twitter? Well, it turns out I didn't need to worry. I searched Twitter. There are other guys out there named Ryan Andrew King, but none of them are being dragged because none of them are active on Twitter. At Ryan Andrew King posted one tweet in 2012 announcing that he was on Twitter and never posted again. At Ryan King, one poet, songwriter, vegan, joined Twitter in 2016, posted one tweet, finally saw the end of the big sleep, so good, and never posted again. Ryan Andrew King, at Rye Rye Records, musician, essayist, gamer, crocheter, pirate, philosopher. He posted one tweet, the same tweet, twice, two identical tweets within six minutes of each other, five years ago, and never posted again. What is it about guys named Ryan Andrew King not being able to commit to Twitter? Oh, and Rye Rye's tweet, someday you'll be that whore again, but no one will want to touch you. Ew, seems... Potentially problematic, that tweet, depending on who it's aimed at. And it seems crazy unfair, at least to me, that Rai Rai's two identical tweets get to live together forever on the internet, and the balls of that 65-year-old dude missed their one and only chance to be reunited in Ryan Andrew King's refrigerator. Ryan Andrew King, electrician cutter, Australian felon. 
All right, coming up on this week's show, on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, senior sex writer Joan Price is back, and we disagree about the advisability of getting a divorce in your 70s. That's on the magnum that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com. Twice as much show, more guests, more calls, and no ads. That is the magnum, Savage Lovecast. And while you're online, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Savage Love from A to Z, an illustrated collection of brand new adults-only essays celebrating the 30th anniversary of Savage Love, my sex advice column. Go to savagelovecast.com slash shop to pre-order your copy today. Books go on sale September 21st. And now let's get to the show. Hello, Dan. I have a little quarantine sex success story for you. I am 34, non-binary and queer in London, and um, it isn't easy to find partners in normal times for me, let alone during the pandemic, but, um, you know, I still try. So one day on Grindr, this blank profile contacts me and we start chatting. I do present myself as non-binary on there, with my androgyny, some makeup, so most people simply ignore me at the best of times, but this one didn't. He's bi in an ethical open relationship with a woman, and he was very honest about it. Up until now, I always tuned down my non-binary side because in London I have a feeling that gay people are very turned off by it. But this time, I felt that this guy was actually attracted to it. So we meet at my place, and... Lord, he was stunning. Spanish in his 40s, just gorgeous. I was wearing some makeup, something sexy, which was the first time for me. Can you believe that? So we're sitting in my living room. We're looking at each other. And he says to me, are you disappointed? Because I'm not. I found it so thoughtful, so sweet. And we had some great sex. And after sex, he's standing naked in my room. And I assume he would just put his clothes back on and leave. But he lingers there. And we start chatting. And after a while, he sits back down on the bed and tells me, It's funny. When I fuck women, I always feel like a champion afterwards. But when I fuck with men, I have this guilt and I need to leave as soon as it's done. But with you, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I have to go. To which I answered, Well, maybe it's because I'm just half a man. And we chatted for two more hours about him, his life, and mine. It was just so great to find someone who was attracted to me for who I was entirely and not just a fragment of me. Thank you so much for calling and sharing your terrific and terrifically affirming sex success story. I hope you keep hooking up with this guy. I hope seeing you, you say half man, I hope seeing you helps him overcome whatever guilt he feels, because that's nothing, of course, and I'm sure you caller would agree, nothing for him to feel guilty about. All right, we like to start each week's show with a sex success story, a listener success story before we get to listener problems. A success story can be anything from a great kinky one-night stand to what's working in your long-term committed relationship. Give us a call, share your success story, and we might start next week's Lovecast with it. Hi, Dan and Nancy and everyone. This is a 30-something-year-old female bisexual from the Northeast. I'm calling with a sort of combo sex success story and um, question. So I met 
a man in January, sort of when I was had shed a lot of relationships during the pandemic and I felt ready for a partner and I met this man and seemed really compatible, except I've had this really poly non-monogamous past and he hasn't, and he hasn't had that much sexual exploration. So he was pretty scared that he like couldn't really live up to my standards and like wasn't as interested in sex as me and had kind of a slow start in that way. And then now he is like, the kinkiest motherfucker I have ever been with and we just bought tons of sex toys and we're just just we fuck all over the place and it's amazing but I have parties you know with my friends and it turns out a lot of my friends are people I used to fuck I mean in open times and when I met them and then we sort of you know became friends instead and he can get very, very, very threatened by this and wonders if he can handle it. And, you know, he seems really interested in pushing his boundaries and trying to grow in this way, but he's afraid that he can't. But I guess I talked to my therapist about this and she was like, well, maybe he should get a therapist to talk about this sort of abandonment and jealousy stuff because he's had therapists in the past and not necessarily about that in this relationship. But I was wondering if you had other advice um, in this circumstance guys really opening up and we're exploring together and I have you know cuddly friendships with a lot of people who I've been sexual with in the past and um, I want to help us kind of grow in this way together positively. The first part of your call the success story part reinforces my priors two kinds of people you meet at kink events play parties the people who were kinky always the people who were tying themselves up when they were 13 years old and the people who fell in love with those people and then being in love with that person having sexual experiences with that person growing with that person awakened the kinks in them as seems to be the case with your new and sounds like pretty great partner the problem here is he has some Standard issue, off the rack, lingering, straight guy-ish kind of jealousy issues. That The fact that you've had sex partners in the past and these people are still in your life and that you enjoy them and that your relationships with them are affectionate, even tactile to a certain extent, makes him jealous. And you say that you guys have been processing this. My question for you, the processing. Any progress on the process front when you have to process these feelings with him? help him work through his jealousy. Is it getting shorter? Are the conversations, you know, you developing a shorthand? Does he just need a little bit of reassurance? Has it become a base that you tag or has it escalated? Is he attempting to leverage jealousy to get all these people out of your life by being inconsolable, by being angry, by being scary, by being jealous? Is this jealousy an emotion that he's experiencing? Or is it something that he is weaponizing to control you? If it is the latter, if it continues to escalate, and there's nothing in your call that makes you sound upset, terrified, afraid of him, or or under any sort of duress at all. So I doubt this is the case. But if it continues to escalate, if it's getting worse and worse, well, then it's a tactic. Then he's trying to manipulate you with his jealousy to get all of these people who mean something to you, who are important to you, out of your life. People who predate him in your life, out of your life. And yeah, if it's escalating and getting worse, he's got to go. But if it's not getting worse, if it's getting better, even by small increments, 
You're just having to pay him a little bit more attention, reassure him. But at some point he takes the yes for an answer that you're still going to be there, that he is at this moment, can't make promises for the next seven decades, but at this moment, the most important person in your life and your priority, if he takes those yeses for an answer, if he can be reassured and his need for reassurance, if the time that his jealousy consumes is shrinking, well, then you're on your way. He may get over it. Could help him to speak with a shrink about this shit, about why he feels threatened that you have these people in your life that you've had sexual connections with in the past who you love and still feel strongly for and why that's a good sign about you as a person and not a bad sign and not something you need to be threatened by. Even if your relationship doesn't last forever, that means you could, he could potentially be one of those people in your life a decade from now. And wouldn't he want that if the relationship, God forbid, should end? Yeah, yeah. I always thought it was a good sign when I was dating somebody whose exes still liked them enough to want to have them around. That meant if our relationship was only a success for a year or two, I'd get a friend out of it, social connections out of it, something to carry forward out of it. Maybe a shrink can help him wrap his head around that. But again, if the processing you're doing is showing progress, you're in a good place. If not, if it's getting worse and worse, if the processing is getting drawn out, if it's becoming a battlefield, then you'll have to end it. But I don't think that's the case. I think you would have mentioned that if that was the case. So I think you're on a good path here. I think this is going to work. Hi, Dan. I'm calling today because I've got a question about traversing the uh, new waters of polyamory and open relationships. And just in general, I feel like I need help sorting out some feelings that I'm having. I, in the past, I like to call myself a serial dater because honestly, like the chemicals of finding a new partner is really exciting. And then they wear off and then I'm done with it. You know, it's kind of like a chemical junkie thing. And I did that a lot. I did it for many years and I had a lot of fun with it. And um, along the way, I, you know, hooked up with a lot of people who I felt really great about and I really liked and I currently am in a relationship the healthiest longest most monogamous relationship I've ever been in for about a year um but there are some people who just haunt my mind that I used to hook up with and so me and my current partner we've been talking about like what it would mean to make our relationship open because I just can't like seem to get these feelings to go away. Um, and I don't really know what to do with them. It's kind of hard being in a committed relationship with someone whose feelings you don't want to hurt, but I want to chase those chemicals purely for that. And, but also I kind of miss some of the people I used to hook up with. So if anyone's ever had this experience before, I don't know what to do with these feelings besides communicate actively with my partner and, just wondering if you have any input. Monogamy, long-term, exclusive, monogamous commitment, not for you. You know that about yourself. That's something that took me a long time, longer than I think, trying to guess your age here, that it took you to realize that about yourself. So good for you and good for you that you're being honest with the person that you've been in a monogamous relationship with 
for a year that as much as you're enjoying this and as much as you're enjoying them, that this monogamous stage of the relationship, it's not going to go on like this for 70 years. And if you don't want to associate opening the relationship up with a crisis or the relationship becoming high conflict, you're going to want to open it up perhaps during this stage when it still seems effortless to be monogamous because you need the NRE. And it sounds to me, I think you're selling yourself short, sounds to me like you are capable of sustaining sexual commitments over time. You say you need that NRE, but then when you talk about the people you'd like to hook up with, it's not brand new people. You're talking about hooking up with people that you used to hook up with in the past. So yeah, I think that you're capable of long-term committed sexual relationships, just not exclusive commitments, just not monogamous commitments. And you're not doing anything wrong if you're being clear about that. You know that about yourself. You need to disclose that to someone who might reasonably, unfortunately still, reasonably make the assumption that if you're dating them or you're getting into a relationship with them, that it's monogamy that you want or that it's monogamy that's on the table because monogamy is the default setting, particularly for opposite sex relationships. You're not allowing him to make that reasonable assumption that you know to be not true, not true where you're concerned. So you're behaving ethically, you're being really good, being proactive, and you're already having these conversations with your current partner about what your relationship will have to look like in the future if it's going to last and last, if they're going to be your primary partner, your nesting partner. You need the NRE. You need that new relationship energy. You need freedom to pursue sexual connections with others and Unless the guy you're dating happens to be a cuckold, you're willing to extend that freedom to him too. I actually don't think you need my help here. It sounds to me like you're doing everything right. Continue to have this conversation. But don't wait. Don't wait too long. Don't wait until the conversation is fraught. If you know that monogamy isn't for you and a committed relationship that doesn't allow you to seek sex with others – isn't a relationship that you want to be in, isn't a relationship that you can commit to, do it early. Don't wait forever to make the relationship you're in now that kind of relationship. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a 56-year-old cis female, single, in a three-and-a-half-year relationship with a polyamorous man. I'm part of the V. I'm the end of the V. And I'm calling because I'm pretty heartsick um, and I'm looking for your advice on how to proceed forward with this relationship at this point. We've all been discussing, his, he's been married for over 25 years and he, his wife and I have been discussing retiring together actually. They're, he's 65, she's a little over 60 and I'm thinking about retiring in the next year or two as well and getting a place together. We've done some trial runs by going on weekend aways and it worked out great. And then after the pandemic, I hadn't done anything during the pandemic and after the pandemic decided to give a big vacation a try. And uh, we went away for a week to a condo and stayed and it really did not go well. What I learned is valuable. It was a good experiment. It just did not work out in the way I wanted to. I don't think it worked out in the way anyone wanted to. The problem, I think, is that the person that I'm dating is not the person who showed up at that week. 
he was not comfortable showing me any affection, really even talking to me. And my attempts to talk to him, you know, and loosen up and a peck on the cheek's not going to do it for me. And the occasional visit into my room to have sex at night and then actually some nights never show up. It was just made me feel horrible. It made me feel lonely and sad and shut out. So my question to you is, is this the point where you call it for this relationship or is there some way to salvage it and go maybe go back to where we were? We Tuesday night date, the every other weekend, the occasional getaways for just he and I, or is this really a sign that I should just end things and, you know, move on and, and look for a new relationship? I'm not sure I'm into the whole polyamorous thing, to be honest with you, but I was definitely open to giving it a try. For someone who isn't sure that she's into the whole polyamorous thing, you really gave it a try 3.5 years. That's a college fucking try. That's a long ass try contemplating retiring with this couple. I wish I could have called you back because I had some follow-up questions for you. You say there were a couple of trial runs, a couple of getaways together. You don't say whether it was the three of you. Sounds like it might not have been. Sounds like this weekend or this week's trip, this big vacation may have been the first time it was the three of you together under one roof. And that was the trial run. That's a different kind of polyamory. There's actually a name for that kind of polyamory, kitchen table polyamory. That just means that everyone's so comfortable with each other that maybe everybody lives together or, you know, the other partners can be there and sit at the kitchen table and share a meal, make breakfast if they slept over and hang out. And not everyone who can do and enjoys and is cut out for polyamory is cut out for kitchen table polyamory. Could be the case here. Seems to me that you've invested 3.5 years in this. Sounds like you're ready to call it off because this week was so terrible. I think you should at least get to the bottom of why it was so terrible. Why was he being so weird? Why was he treating you so coldly? And then if the only variable was the presence of his wife, well, that would seem to be the obvious reason why he was behaving so differently toward you. I would, if I were in your shoes, have a conversation with both of them. They were thinking about retiring with you. That was a decision that all three of you were thinking about making together. And you should be able to put on the table, we did this experiment, we went away for a week together, it made me miserable. And then look at him and say, is there a reason why you were so withholding, so unaffectionate? Treated me like a flashlight a few times in the middle of the night. Visited me in the bedroom. Fucked me and left. Like, that's not what I want. That's not what I'm signing up for. That's not the kind of relationship we have when we're together. And if it's the case that he just feels self-conscious about being affectionate with you in front of his wife, well, maybe that's something that he can work on and correct. If it's his wife who doesn't want him being affectionate with you in front of her, well, that may not be something that you guys can solve. But it's certainly something that I think 3.5 years in, you at least have a right to directly address with both of them and confront them about if this is something that they want. The three of you retiring together, the three of you living together. Could be that this is something that his wife agreed to under duress and isn't very happy about but was willing to tolerate he can't ask you to live like that. He can't ask you to live in a house where you are being 
tolerated and he is being policed and he too much affection directed your way will upset his wife. That's not going to work. And then you either have to return to the way it was Tuesday nights, every other weekend, or if you do want to retire together, separate houses, separate apartments in a retirement community or wherever it is you guys wanted to retire together, not one house, separate domiciles, just like you've got now. But you got to get to the bottom of this. And I think, I don't know, 3.5 years, this was 3.5 months and you weren't sure about the polyamory thing. I would advise you to call it, to walk away. But 3.5 years, there was something there, something between you and this guy, something more about this relationship, something about this relationship that made polyamory for you, not just something you could contemplate, but something you could do. You've been doing it. And I think you owe it to yourself. You owe it to this relationship to get to the bottom of why this one week was so disastrous. And once you know the reason, then you can make the call. Hey, Dan, Nancy, you, I am a 20 something transgender man. And I have a great sexual relationship with a partner, but I am often on the restrictive end of being fucked. And I am fine with that. I enjoy it a lot. But I also know that bottom surgery is in my future and that that bottom surgery might involve a vaginectomy. I want to get fucked in my life. And to be clear, I love anal, I've experienced anal, and I know how to clean myself out for a session. But I'm curious what day-to-day life and routines are like for somebody who is the receptive partner and only has a butthole to do it in. Just like, what's the routine? How, what, like, daily maintenance, not special occasion maintenance and planning and life. Yeah. We we all learn this in day-to-day life as a queer lesbian, but now uh, things are different. I guess it all depends on how often you're going to get fucked in the ass, how central to your relationship with your partner penetrative sex is. If you're going to get fucked in the ass three or four times a day, you're going to be sore a lot. It's a muscle. It gets stronger as you use it. You're not going to wind up incontinent. You're not going to injure yourself so long as you do a lot of anal foreplay and use a lot of lube, but you're going to have to clean out a lot and your butt's not really going to get much of a break. So if the person you're with requires penetrative sex three or four times a day or five times a week, what it's going to be like after you get bottom surgery and the front hole closes for business is you're going to have to clean out a lot. You're going to spend a lot of time in the bathroom douching Perhaps unnecessarily, as Dr. Evan Goldstein, recent podcast guest from Bespoke Surgical, explained to us, you don't always have to clean out. Eat a high-fiber diet, get a lot of liquids in your diet, don't eat a lot of junk food, don't subsist on nothing but diet Coke and coffee and garbage. And if you get regular, maybe take some fiber supplements, you take a good regular daily dump at a predictable time, your butt is going to be mostly good to go and you don't need to clean out. And cleaning out too often can wash away a lot of healthy bacteria, can also irritate sensitive skin lining inside your rectum and outside, making you more susceptible to acquiring a sexually transmitted infection or just irritation. 
And so, yeah, if you don't want to clean out five times a week for your partner who expects penetrative sex for you to be the bottom five times a week, get regular, take fiber supplements and get to know your butt. Kind of the rhythm method for the butt. But other than that, I think you know what to expect. You're already getting fucked in the ass. And there are lots of guys out there, lots of cis guys out there, and lots of trans guys out there who are power bottoms, who get fucked in the butt all the time, who will tell you it doesn't interfere with their quality of life, that it improves their quality of life significantly. And here's hoping after you get bottom surgery, which I assume you're getting for a reason, that you're not always the one on the receiving end here in this relationship. Hey, Dan. 31-year-old cis bi woman living on the West Coast. And I have a question about Instagram etiquette and fuck buddies. I've been with my partner for about uh, three years now. And now that we're all vaxxed up, we've been excited to start exploring with others because we are absolutely tired of each other right now, having spent the better part of a couple of years with only each other. And so I met a really great guy on field. We have now hooked up a couple of times. You know, at first I didn't want to let this bother me too much, but it's been on my mind enough that I figured I had to give you a call. Basically, the first time after we hooked up, I sent the customary, hey, thanks, had a great time text. And he sent a text back. And he also sent back the Instagram profile of a really hot woman he thought that we might have fun with at some point together. I enthusiastically replied that I'd be very interested. And then a couple days later, I added him on Instagram because I thought, well, you know, he sent me someone else's Instagram profile. So I figured that seemed to me something of an invitation to interact on social media. Now, I know a lot of people in apps like Field like to be discreet. So it took him about a day or two to uh, accept my follow request. Totally fine. But then he never followed me back. Now, again, I completely understand the desire for discretion. But don't you think it's a little weird that he sent me someone else's profile? And then the second time we hooked up, talked frequently about interacting with women on Instagram. Meanwhile, the whole time I'm thinking to myself, is this guy insta-negging me? Is this like a new form of social media fuckboyery that is becoming more and more common. What's interesting is that my partner's take is that this is totally chill and he's just setting boundaries and wants to be, you know, discreet. But my uh, female friend and sometime partner agrees with me that this feels kind of neg-like and is some high school bullshit. And that if you fuck somebody and they talk about social media openly they got to follow you back. So I want to know what you think, Dan. Also, he's a regular listener of your show. So if you hear me, I still want to take a dip in that hot tub sometime. There's a lot of high school bullshit going on here, but it's mostly your bullshit. You're overthinking this. You're overthinking this a lot. That's kind of high school bullshit. You're making up secret rules that this guy is breaking, rules that you haven't shared with him. And instead of asking him what the fuck is going on here, why didn't you follow me back? You're asking me basically in the hallway of the high school we all go to at the lockers, but loud enough for him to hear the question, the question that you wanted to ask him, you put to your gay friend 
in the hall. So the guy that you have, you hooked up with at the party or you have a crush on or whatever could overhear you, but didn't hear you asking the question of him directly. So there's a lot of high school game playing going on here, but I think it's mostly your game playing. I don't know why he didn't follow you back. He knows why he didn't follow you back. I could speculate Maybe he has a primary partner and they have a DADT kind of arrangement and his primary partner follows him on Instagram. And so despite trawling Instagram for other sex partners, which is allowed in the terms of his relationship, he doesn't follow lots of other women so as not to effectively accidentally back into telling his – I don't know what the fuck's going – could be that. The only person who knows the answer to the question of why this guy – didn't follow you and whether he's playing games or started the games that now you are playing is him. He's the only one who knows the answer. And he's a listener, a regular listener. So I would encourage him to please call and share the answer with all of us because now we're all dying to know. It's good, juicy high school gossip. Hi, Dan. I'm a cis straight late 20s male on the East Coast. And I have a question about a situation I found myself in. So I've been casually hooking up with two women who are my coworkers. Both had asked me to be discreet and not to tell anyone because of the work environment. And both understand that I'm seeing other women and I understand that they're going on dates as well. So it's largely been a DADT thing and I've been being saved using condoms, etc. And they don't know about each other. Anyway, so a few days ago, I found myself at a party with both of them. And as the party was winding down, Girl A basically asked me to leave to go back to her place. However, I wanted to stay and eventually go home with Girl B. So I kind of made a crappy excuse. And then a little later, before she left, Girl A asked me if I was trying to go home with uh, Girl B, point blank, which I was. But because I wanted to respect Girl B's discretion uh, and privacy, I once again made a, a crappy excuse that Girl A, even though she was a good sport about it, I definitely got the feeling that she was not... Uh, so I understand that this is kind of on me for getting myself into a situation like this, but how can I navigate this sort of situation if it happens in the future? I want to respect both women's discretion and privacy, uh, and I usually subscribe to the DADT policy and just try to avoid the topic, but I do want to be honest and ethical next time if I'm in a situation like this and someone point blank asks me. So um, help, Dan, what do I do? You leave. You leave the party. When you arrived at the party, and both these women from work that you're sleeping with were there, and neither of them knew that you were sleeping with the other, I think the right thing to do at that moment, not just to protect their feelings, not just to keep the discretion ball in the air, but to protect, I guess, your access to these women in the future was to fucking leave so that you wouldn't put yourself in the position of doing what you did, which was hurting one of them, picking one of them in front of the other, prioritizing one of them over the other in such an obvious way that the one who was deprioritized spotted it, noticed it, asked about it, and felt, I guess, second best, second rate, your fallback girl from work that you're fucking. I would be very surprised if that woman, now that she knows you're fucking more than just one woman from work, not just her, and that of all the women, or at least the two of the women that she knows about that you're fucking from work, she is your second favorite. I would be very surprised if that woman kept fucking you. So 
the right thing to do if you're going to be this kind of a player. The right thing to do when you walked into that party and they both were there was to walk the fuck back out of that party and then circle back to either or both of those women later, not to arrange that sort of a hookup with one of them in front of the other one. That's what I would have told you to do if I was your gay friend at that party, but unfortunately you didn't have a gay friend at that party. So now the women from work, both of them, that you fucking, they know, they know there's more than one and one of them knows that you like one of them better than the other. Or given choice between them, you would choose the other one. There's nothing you can do to unship that bed, to unscrew that pooch. Just make a mental note in the future. If you should ever find yourself in a similar circumstance, leave. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a bisexual cisgender female living in Sydney, and I'm calling because I have a question around responses to seeing someone treating someone else with shitty behavior. Um, this scenario is around my brother-in-law, who's currently house-sitting. He had mentioned to my husband and I several times that living in the house alone was pretty isolating. So I ended up suggesting that a friend of mine who's here temporarily move in, since he's house-sitting temporarily and she's living the country in a few months. Also, they're both single, and I thought it might be fun to play matchmaker a little. Um, not long after she moved in, they started hooking up, not surprisingly, and things were going well, it seemed. Then she ended up revealing that she wasn't seeing him exclusively, which apparently was really upsetting for him. They had a big fight about it, and after their big fight, he apparently was still trying to have sex with her multiple times after she made it clear she wasn't interested and was upset and even aggressive at her saying no. He's also said things like, oh, it's not normal to be comfortable sleeping with multiple people and has even been creating these weird double standards when it comes to COVID safety um, because actually Sydney is back in lockdown. Things ended up getting super heated between the two of them that he ended up basically telling her that she needed to move out. He's asserting that he wanted her to move out because living with her was giving him anxiety, which may well be true, but she thinks it's because she's no longer sexually interested in him and is likely using the power dynamic to put her out. My stance on the situation is that I really don't need to know the whole story to know that he's been behaving like an asshole. But for my husband, who I acknowledge is his brother, um, he keeps responding with, well, there are two sides to the story and we don't know his side of the story. And my husband and I keep having the same argument over and over again. And I keep saying that it actually doesn't fucking matter what his side of the story is because we know that he's been acting totally inappropriately. So my question is around what kind of moral responsibility should we all have when it comes to properly intervening in a situation like this when you know someone's being an asshole? Do we intervene at all and let their business be their business? Am I just an asshole for having suggested this arrangement in the first place and overlooking some of my brother-in-law's shitty characteristics? My concern is that my brother-in-law is going to end up lonely and unhappy and that none of his siblings did anything to pull him up on his behavior, as they say here in Australia. You say that your brother-in-law was aggressive at this woman for saying no. I'm going to assume that what you meant by that was that she said no and he got angry and that he has been manipulative and creepy and volatile 
but that he hasn't refused to take no for an answer. He hasn't sexually assaulted this woman. He expected, after she moved in and they began to hook up, that he was the only person that she was hooking up with. That is something that no one should assume about a person that they've just met. If a person starts fucking you, that doesn't mean that they're not fucking or dating or involved with other people necessarily. And if it's really important to you that someone you're fucking, particularly during a pandemic, particularly in a city that's locked down, isn't fucking anybody else but you, if that information, if finding that out would upset you in a big way, would make you very upset, very angry, well then you have a responsibility primarily to yourself to ask questions, to make sure, to verify that you are indeed the only person this person that you've just started fucking is fucking. Doesn't sound like your brother-in-law did that. Sounds like your brother-in-law assumed that. As assumptions go at this moment during a pandemic in a city that's locked down, maybe it wasn't that unreasonable an assumption on his part that he was the only person that she was sleeping with, but turned out that wasn't the case. And if it's this upsetting to him to find that out, it was his responsibility to ask, not to assume sexual exclusivity. That can't be assumed. It has to be established. It has to be mutually consented to. It has to be opt-in. All right, but all that shit has already flown through the fan. This sounds like a terrible situation. Sounds toxic. Sounds like an unbearable environment in which to live. I am surprised this woman hasn't moved the fuck out of this free place to stay that was offered to her considering the emotional cost and the risk and danger of being in this place with someone that the person who set you up with that guy regards as volatile, dangerous, awful. You, you think this guy is awful and being awful to your friend. Why is your friend still there? Perhaps you do have a responsibility to intervene here. And it's not just to pull your brother-in-law up. It's not just to slap him upside the head. It's not just to tell him he is in the wrong. It's to get this woman, this other person that you know, this other friend, out of danger, out of the line of fire, and to take some responsibility for the circumstance in which she finds herself now because of you. That could mean inviting her to come stay at your place until she can find somewhere else to live while she's still in Sydney, or until she leaves town, as was the original plan, the original idea. She only needed a temporary place to stay. You played matchmaker here. You need to unmake this match. You played matchmaker in a way where the stakes were ramped way the fuck up. You didn't introduce your brother-in-law to this woman that you know, and they both had their own apartments to retreat to if the relationship went south. You placed this woman in your brother-in-law's house, in his apartment, and it didn't go well. If you are the only person this woman knows in Sydney, the only friend she has, I think you need to take some responsibility and get her and fuck out of there. Invite her to your place. That doesn't mean that your husband has to side with you against his brother, but at the very least, your husband should be able to recognize and acknowledge that the two of them can't continue to live under one roof, that it is not safe for her or productive, in the mental health sense, for his brother. So, matchmaker, do whatever you can right now, right this minute, to unmake this 
match. Hi, Dan. I've been in a relationship with a wonderful woman for seven, eight years, something like that. And over time, as things go, you know, you just kind of, you don't have the spark as you did in the beginning. I discussed it with my partner the other day, and she spoke about how she was kind of really waiting for me to take the initiative. She likes it when I'm a little more, I don't want to say aggressive, but she wants me to, you know, sweep her off her feet and kind of, you know, make those big, bold moves. And I I thought about it, and I realized that I, I haven't been doing that. I'm never the one to make the move. You know, I always wait for her to make the move. And... What she said to me, I think, really rung true, which is that I have been working in sexual assault crisis intervention for a while now, and I don't feel comfortable really doing that. That makes me very uncomfortable. Um, you know, I will go up to her and ask her occasionally and, you know, get that enthusiastic verbal consent, and that doesn't turn her on. That doesn't interest her. She wants that you know, swept off the feet, just kind of, you know, uh, I just can't do it. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. That's why I've come to you, Dan. Um, please, please help. She's not asking you to tackle her, to run from the other side of the room and leap on top of her and knock her down. She's asking you to initiate. She's giving you in advance of an attempted initiation her enthusiastic verbal consent for you to initiate. So you have her enthusiastic verbal consent in your pocket. And what she wants you to do is to walk away with her enthusiastic verbal consent in your back pocket and then know it's there and be confident that in the context of this committed relationship that you can initiate sex without mother may I-ing her, that you can initiate. And if she's not feeling it, if you pick the wrong moment, she can withdraw her consent at that moment. So go ahead, initiate whatever form initiating takes for you. It's a little vague when she says, I want you to take the initiative. It might help if you had an additional conversation with her. Maybe you know what that means, what she means when she says that. Concretely, in action, what does that mean? What does she mean when she says that? If you don't already have clarity about that, get clarity about that. And then Reassure yourself. Take comfort. You have her enthusiastic verbal consent. You just got it a couple days in advance, a couple weeks in advance, instead of in the moment. Initiate in the moment. She can withdraw her consent in that moment if it's the wrong moment. But if it's the right moment, Yahtzee. And so long as you drop it, if she says drop it in that moment, if you guess wrong, if you pick the wrong moment, no harm done, no harm, no foul. So you've got everything you need. You've got the thing that you said that you wanted, which is her enthusiastic verbal consent. Act like it. Hi, Dan, from a 71-year-old bisexual man from New England with an unsatisfying 20-year marriage to a 74-year-old heterosexual woman. I'm trying to think of ways to maintain the marriage or not. We have mostly pleasant companionship, but we're no longer emotionally or physically close. Our families get along very well. We are financially independent. My wife shows very little empathy towards me, 
my emotional and sexual needs and health issues. I have labile high blood pressure and early heart disease. She's certainly capable of lots of empathy toward her family and friends. She complains a lot, especially about my declining to visit her out-of-town family because of health issues. A once active sex life has become her pleasuring me unenthusiastically when I request and being uninterested herself. I very much miss pleasuring her. In the past, I've been to sex workers with satisfaction and without her knowledge, believing she would never understand. I've had long-term therapy and have been encouraged to seek extramarital sex. My wife bailed out of therapy. I love her, but don't think she loves me. It's more like accommodation. I'm scared of growing old, bitter, and impotent with virtually no intimacy. We don't even snuggle. I'm happier when she's out of town. It's hard to contemplate breaking up and the effect it would have on our families. I've thought of seeing sex workers again, perhaps starting a relationship with a woman I grew up with who appreciates me. I'm considering suggesting my wife spend more time alone with her family. What else can you think of, Dan? Joining me to tackle this question, Joan Price, author of four senior sex books, including Sex After Grief, Navigating Your Sexuality, After Losing Your Beloved, and frequent guest of the Savage Lovecast. Hey, Joan, how you doing? So happy to be talking to you. So this is kind of a depressing one. It is, and it's not that unusual, unfortunately. So many people um, feel they're too old to make a change, and yet... Look at everything he's telling us. He's not sexually satisfied. There's no intimacy. There's no uh, closeness. There's no empathy. There's no sympathy for his health problems. Why is he staying, Dan? You know, I, I, I'm, I, I could see staying if there was no, you know, in your 70s and declining health with pleasant companionship. He says that they're companions and the companionship is pleasant. I could see sticking around and just kind of doing what you need to do to stay married and stay sane, as I like to say. It's the what he describes as her lack of concern for his health problems that I kind of bump right. on and makes me feel like, well, maybe he should get out. But is it realistic to tell people in declining health in their 70s with merged finances and tightly knit families to just divorce for sex? I think he called, he called you. He didn't call someone who would say, stay with it. It's a marriage. You can't. He called Dan Savage. And I think he called you for permission to leave. And I'm going to join you in giving him permission to leave. 71 is not the end of life. He said he doesn't want to grow old with no intimacy He's guaranteeing he will grow old with no intimacy if he stays. He's guaranteeing it. If he leaves, will he find another relationship? I don't know. But if he doesn't leave, he's stuck with what he's got. And I don't think he even is finding it a, a pleasant companionate relationship because she's criticizing him all the time. She wants him to do things that are dangerous for himself. Traveling to see her family. Oh. Yeah. You know, you say that he called me, you know, because I'm, I give permission. But one of the things I'm notorious for giving permission for a person to do 
is to seek extramarital sex sometimes without, you know, if the spouse is no longer interested in sex and has abandoned you sexually, I think that you have a right, if you don't feel like your sex life should be unilaterally declared dead, to seek sex discreetly, considerately. And he did say that he's been given, he's been encouraged to seek extramarital sex. It would have been helpful if he clarified. Well, he, he. he did. He said, "We've been in therapy. I've been in therapy. I've been encouraged to seek extra sex." I couldn't tell if he meant by the wife or the therapist. I took it as by the therapist. Remember, she bailed on the therapy. She bailed on it. He kept going. Uh, I guess. I, I guess I'm just. I'm just fundamentally conservative on some level. We're just like there's something about telling <laughs> seventy year olds to get a divorce, start over, divide up all the belongings, yeah. separate your finances, <laughs> strike out on your own with your heart condition. And you're declining health. Start over. Like, I kind of bump on that. Like, can you find a way to make what works about the relationship work? Get the needs met outside that aren't being met inside? Maintain pleasant, uh, you know, relations, if not sexual relations with your spouse and coast until death? But I guess I shouldn't tell people to coast until death. Dan, you and I see age 71 differently. (laughs) <laughs> you're from way before 71. I'm from after. I'm at 77. And people make changes all the time for the better. If he doesn't make a change, he's stuck. And I don't see that there's much to hold on to there. He's not, there's, there's no empathy. There's no laughter. There's constant criticism. There's no regard for mm. his health. That's going to speed him to death rather than let him enjoy his life. I, I want to encourage, and we can, we can disagree on that, but I really want to encourage him to make a change. He said that he sees, he has in the past seen sex workers, which is fine, but he's hidden it from his wife because she wouldn't understand. It seems to me that his concern shouldn't be what his wife will understand what her family will accept. Because when he says, you know, how can I make a change? um, My family would be upset. Mm -hmm. His family, his kids are probably 50 years old. His grandkids are probably adults. She doesn't have to take all that into account. He has for years. And what has happened? He's been increasingly unhappy. They don't even cuddle. There's nothing there. Well, this is why I wanted to chat with you about it, because I was worried that my coast until death, which we're all kind of doing at whatever age we are, we're coasting until death, that that might have been sexist. And I might have been making assumptions about people in their 70s that weren't fair, which is why I wanted to talk to you, a person in their 70s who is doing a lot, but not coasting. I'm <laughs> not coasting. <laughs> and not just hills, I might add, if I may. I'm not over the hill. I'm on top of it. Joan Price, author of four senior sex books, including Sex After Grief, <laughs> Navigating Your Sexuality After Losing Your Beloved. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone. I, I needed that uh, that check from you. I needed that reality check. Thank you. Glad I could help, Dan. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is a 30-year-old from the Midwest calling with a question about work. I've worked for my current boss for about eight months, and up to this point, I kind of looked up to him as a mentor and someone really smart and someone who was teaching me a lot about the industry. So last week he invited myself and just so happens to be the only other single young female to a resort to 
help him film a video. He's our quote unquote big boss. And he asked us not to tell our direct supervisor where we were going. And this was possible because we work remotely within the state and no one knows where we are on a day-to-day basis. And he said he didn't want it to look like he was playing favorites. We get there and we're ready to make the video that he wants us to make, which turned out had nothing to do with work or the current company we're in. But he said he first wanted us to get more comfortable first. And so we went down and had a drink at 3 p.m. at the pool bar. He usually doesn't drink. He had a drink and he just started talking instantly about his sex life and his relationship and his arrangement with his wife. This was odd and uncomfortable, obviously. Um, anytime we tried to change the subject, he quickly like wrapped it back around to his sex life. And this continued for a long time past dinner. And finally we made the video around 10 PM, which was also uncomfortable. I planned on talking to him one-on-one. I feel like we, we had a relationship where I could be honest and blunt about it. But before I had the chance to tell him that it was uncomfortable and not okay, my coworker called our supervisor who let HR know. We've talked to HR at this point and given our statements. I am just feeling conflicted because I feel like I could have shut it down a lot sooner. He was sending very subtle, suggestive, flirtatious texts, and I didn't shut it down, but I didn't think it would get this awkward. And uh, I just, I'm conflicted. I don't, I don't necessarily want him to lose his job because of it. I think it was a bad judge of the moment, but I also don't want to work one-on-one with him again. I I don't know, Dan. I don't know if it was just a bad call of judgment in the moment or if that's totally not okay. I happened to have a therapy appointment the day we came back, and she thought, after I told her all the minutiae, that none of it was okay. And my friends thought it wasn't okay. I just don't know if I sound pathetic thinking that it wasn't so awful, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what should happen. I don't know how it's going to be if he stays or if he goes. I, I just don't know if it was acceptable or not. And I would like your perspective. You ask if his behavior was acceptable. And the answer, of course, is no, no, completely unacceptable. What I'm stumbling over, what I'm bumping on is that if I were in your shoes, this unacceptable behavior, I kind of would have expected it. He invited you, another younger woman, younger than him, from work to go off to a resort with him for a weekend to film a video about, you never mentioned what, curious what that video might have been about, and then swore you both to secrecy. Nobody could know that you guys were going away for a weekend with your boss to a resort to do something I assume not work related that involved filming. And then he told you not to tell your boss about this trip. That was a red flag. After he sent you some mildly flirtatious texts that you deflected, that was another red flag. That was another indication that once you guys were out of the office environment in a place with 
ooze that he was highly likely to want something else to happen besides making the video. Not blaming you for finding yourself in this circumstance and for being manipulated successfully by this guy. I'm just trying to identify for you the red flags that you seem to have missed so that in the future you're maybe a little bit more on your guard for those red flags, looking out for them on the horizon, and you don't find yourself in a circumstance like this. Again, that sounds like it was unpleasant, but that's a digression. The answer to your question was what he did acceptable manipulating two younger coworkers who are dependent on him for performance reviews and raises and whatever else into a circumstance like this. And then once there, try to get you drunk, get himself drunk, start talking about his personal life and his wife. No, none of that was appropriate. And I'm hoping there are consequences for him. I'm hoping he isn't left in a position where he can do this to other women working under him. And maybe it's good that it played out this way. Maybe it's good that you didn't spot what to me, at least in with the benefit of hindsight seems like large, very red flags flapping pretty nearby. Maybe it's good that you didn't spot them. And maybe I'm being too glib about how easily spotted they were because it's certainly a set of circumstances where you could imagine much worse happening and worse didn't happen worse than you two being manipulated, worse than you two feeling creeped out by his behavior, worse didn't happen. No one was sexually assaulted. And now he's been reported to HR and hopefully will soon find himself not in a position to do this to anyone else, which means some good will have come of this. Some good will have come of you missing what may have been, without the benefit of hindsight, teeny tiny red flags way off in the distance on the horizon. But yeah, what he did was pretty fucking inappropriate and it would be pretty fucking inappropriate and actionable for the company you all work at to leave this guy in a position where he could do it to anybody else. Hey Dan, I'm a 36 year old lesbian woman and I'm calling in regards to um, a lot of bisexual couples being on dating apps and in lesbian spaces. So I haven't been in a relationship in about four years. It's been probably about six years since I've been on a dating app. I downloaded some lesbian dating apps and some like regular dating apps and hit women seeking women. About one out of every three swipes is a couple um, with a woman who just came out as bisexual and wants to experiment or they're looking for a threesome. I find this to be kind of annoying, <laughs> but you know, moving on. Uh, we, me and my best friend went out to a lesbian bar we used to frequent a lot before the pandemic hit. Um, it was closed for almost two years, opened back up. We go out, great time, women everywhere, dancing, just fantastic, until about midnight, 31 o'clock, and these couples start showing up, straight men and their presumably bisexual wives. The men were the ones hitting on all of these women, trying to get them to go home with them, talk to their wives, their girlfriends, and it was starting to irritate a lot of the women there and a lot of people were leaving. Uh, fast forward a couple of weeks, we go to a karaoke for pride and outdoor event. And I was late to the party. So my best friend was sitting there when I got there, she was very visibly upset. And I asked her what was going on. She said that she had been approached and hit on by two separate men, both uh, saying that, well, my wife thinks you're really attractive and so do I, and maybe we could hang out and get to know each other better 
the first guy, after she told him, I'm a lesbian and no, he just kind of looked offended and left. And then the second guy that approached her and did the same thing uh, proceeded to like keep pushing it and like said everything except for you just haven't found the right dick yet. Um, after these experiences, I'm starting to get really fed up with this sort of situation. I feel like these straight guys are using their now bisexual partner women to like infiltrate lesbian spaces. It just seems really uncalled for. Like they're just not reading the room and they're really out of their element. Like as a lesbian, I've had to fight for most of my life just to be like seen and not be seen as like a potential mate if I just had the right dick. And when it comes to bisexuality, like bisexuals seem to have to fight really hard to not be as seen as these like sluts who fuck everyone all the time. Like if you're poly, great, but go into poly queer spaces, not just into lesbian bars and stick your dick where it doesn't belong. Am I being too sensitive about this issue or do they really just need to stay the fuck out of lesbian spaces? There are 21 lesbian bars left in the continental United States. As Leah Delaria explained to us recently on the Savage Lovecast, the lesbian bar project, trying to save the lesbian bars and not save them for straight guys to bring their girlfriends, their bi girlfriends, their queer girlfriends to at one o'clock in the morning looking for a woman to have a three-way with. That's not what lesbian bars, lesbian spaces, as rare as they are, it's not what they're for. I think it's better that opposite sex couples who are looking for a, a, a bi woman or a lesbian woman who wants to hook up with an opposite sex couple, better for them to get online, better for them to get on dating apps where you can quickly send them packing. You just swipe them away and they're gone. Harder to do in a lesbian bar at 1am if a whole bunch of opposite sex couples show up. Harder to do in a queer space when straight guys show up with that kind of straight energy where they just don't take lesbian or no and sort of the same thing there for an answer. God, that's fucking annoying. You're right to be annoyed. Straight guys with bisexual or lesbian girlfriends are often put in the position where their lesbian, well, not lesbian, their bi girlfriends want them to make it happen for them. Their newly out bi girlfriends want the boyfriend to make these connections because guys are the initiators because guys initiate. That's what guys are supposed to do. So it's not always the case when the guy is out there trying to find a girl to hook up with him and his girlfriend that he's pushing her into it or that it's all about him and his desires. A lot of newly out bisexual women are really shy and aren't used to being the quote unquote aggressors and they will go out with their boyfriends and expect their boyfriends to do what boyfriends do, which is to initiate, to be the aggressors. And any guy who does that in a lesbian space in a way has outed himself as someone who has no right to be in a lesbian space, to be bringing that kind of straight male energy and that straight male gaze into a lesbian space is going to ruin it for the lesbians that attracted him and his girlfriend to that space in the first place. They should know enough. And if any of you out there listening are straight guys with newly out by girlfriends who want to go to the lesbian bar and see what might happen, you should know enough that the very least your girlfriend is the one who's going to have to make the approach and you're going to have to hang back. But yeah, call her. That sucks. I don't want to be accused of gatekeeping, but I think 
straight guys, even bi guys might want to err on the side of staying the fuck out of lesbian bars at one o'clock in the morning, which is prime pair off time at a hopping dance club or hookup bar and bursting in at one o'clock in the morning to try to take advantage of that energy and find a woman for you and your girlfriend. Yeah. It's just a shitty, inconsiderate, entitled, privileged thing to do. And the kind of guy who would do that thoughtlessly is not the kind of guy who deserves to watch his girlfriend get it on with some hot dyke from the lesbian bar. So, yeah, not okay. Me saying it's not okay is not going to keep these guys off dating apps for lesbians and bi women. You're going to have to swipe left. You're going to have to shut it down, you and the other lesbians in that space. When you feel it reaches that tipping point, you're either going to leave or your dykes get in their faces. Tell them to get the fuck out. Gatekeep just a little bit. Hi, Dan and the at-risk youth. So I'm a late 20s girl on the East Coast. I dated a guy for three years. We've been broken up for about two years, but have remained really close friends throughout that time. We're honestly much better as friends than we are as partners. And about five months ago, he started dating another woman. She seems super awesome. I'm really happy for them. And they just go together really, really well. So here's the issue I'm having, though. I have seizures, and they aren't full and controlled. I had to switch my medication, and when that happens, I just feel more comfortable if someone's around to monitor me in case there's an emergency. I don't have a housemate at the time, so I normally have these two other friends that kind of help be my caretakers. Uh, unfortunately, they were out of town, so I called my ex, and I asked if I could stay on his couch for a couple days until my friend came back. He said that was fine. Uh, the issue is, <laughs> his current partner ended up coming over to surprise him with dinner. She walked in and saw me in my pajamas, understandably got upset uh, because my ex did not tell her why I would be there or that I would be there at all. So she ended up kind of dramatically throwing the dinner in the trash can, storming off. I told my ex I wanted to reach out to her and apologize for it looking like something was going on and to explain why I was there. My ex said that I should stay out of it, which, fair enough. But the way he handled it was by saying she shouldn't dictate my friendships and I have nothing to explain because we weren't doing anything shady. I said he should really tell her why I was there because at first glance, it doesn't seem like there's a reason I should be sleeping over at my ex's house when I have my own place. So it's been a week now and they haven't spoken. And he adamantly holds true that uh, she should just trust me. But it's messing up their relationship. <laughs> I feel badly about this because I was kind of unwittingly a catalyst. And I want to shoot her at text to just use detention. But then again, I don't really know her very well. Part of me feels like I should let out of it, and part of me just wants to, I don't know, just send a quick message. <laughs> I really do want their relationship to work out. Any thoughts on what I should do? If your ex-boyfriend doesn't want to fix this, if he doesn't want to tell his girlfriend who you are, who you were, what you were doing there, you're not going to be able to fix it for him, nor are you obligated to fix this for him. This bed, this bed covered with shit. He shot this bed covered with shit. He invited you to come stay. 
if his girlfriend was in the habit of dropping by and surprising him with dinner, if he was in a new relationship and he knew it would be a problem for the girl that he's in a relationship with now that his ex-girlfriend was spending the night at his place, he needed to tell her that. He avoided telling her that for dot, dot, dot reasons and it all blew up in his face and blew up in yours too. If I were in your position, I'd be a little annoyed at my ex-boyfriend for putting me in this position. Must have been awkward for you. Must have been uncomfortable for you too. But now, now that he's put himself and you and the girlfriend in this position, now that this blew up in his face, it's his job to fix it not your job to fix it. You don't know this woman. She's not your girlfriend. And if your ex-boyfriend, who I assume is ex-boyfriend for all sorts of reasons, your ex, your ex-boyfriend doesn't have the social or emotional skills, doesn't have the emotional intelligence to fix this for himself, can't be fixed. The relationship can't be saved or salvaged, nor should it be. What are you going to do if he continues to be incapable of resolving conflict with the girl he's seeing now? You're going to rush in every time, even when you're not at the center of it to fix it for him? No, 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 you're not. And you're not going to fix this for him either, even though you are, through no fault of your own, kind of at the center of it. But the fuck out. It's not your problem. It's his. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read your tweets. Kuwai Philip tweets, gotta thank at fake Dan Savage and his fascinating guest at John H. McWhorter for introducing my ears to the likes of theatrical subjugation and the titillation it brings. I love that simple role-playing has now been elevated to the degree that it requires a Columbia PhD to name it. And what a great name Professor McWhorter gave it, theatrical subjugation. I wish I had thought of that. In response to my comments about people in red states who refuse to get vaccinated or allow their kids to get vaccinated because they don't want to hand Biden a win, Joey Zoe Artiste tweets, stop calling people who don't think exactly like you idiots. You aren't all-knowing, nor are politicians, scientists, or non-liable pharma companies. I'm sorry, but I got to say, I'm not rushing to the defense of pharma companies here, but doctors and scientists? Yeah, doctors and scientists know more about communicable diseases and vaccines than everybody else. And with 99% of all COVID-19 deaths now among the unvaccinated, and with the USA once again leading the world in new COVID-19 infections, anyone who can get vaccinated at this point but refuses to do so is an idiot and a danger to themselves and others. And finally, Lisa Brody tweets, Magnum subscriber here. I really appreciate how you and Nancy get new shows in the can for when you take time off. It would be easy to put up a rerun from any of your past 750 plus episodes, but you guys go the extra mile. So we get fresh episodes every Tuesday. We love that. Thank you. You're welcome. Nancy deserves most of the credit for keeping the shows coming week after week, more than 90% of the credit, I'd say. But I can't tell you how much it means to both of us, to all of us here at the Savage Love Cast, that people appreciate our efforts to keep the shows coming week after week. All right. Thanks to everybody who posted about the show to your social media this week. We really appreciate it. Help spread the word about the Savage Love Cast. And if you want me to read your tweet on next week's Savage Love Cast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Love Cast. And now your response calls. Hi, this is in response 
to the caller that was talking about threesome with the boyfriend's potential experience because of the caller being bi. Dan's points were all super right on. But as also a bisexual who has what I like to call a dualogamy kind of relationship going on, like I have a boyfriend and then I also have a girlfriend. And the thing is, we kind of like my boyfriend doesn't have anything to do with my girlfriend. He just kind of gives me the freedom to have that experience. And after sharing that, I'm just saying because it seems to me that the fact that your boyfriend seems so controlling in regards to your experience with another woman is a little bit of an orange to red flag to me that if I were you, I would really take note of and try to see if other sort of controlling orange to red flags show up because I actually had another boyfriend about three years ago who sounded very much like how your boyfriend is and it ended really badly. He became very toxic and scary and I know as Dan said, you're the only one that can really know your boyfriend but I would just like start taking note of those flags, you know, that he maybe waves that say that he wants to be really controlling of your dynamic with another woman because you don't need to stand for it and you can absolutely find an amazing man out there that gives you the freedom to have exactly what you want. Hi, this is a message for the caller on episode 768 whose wife had lost interest in him. I just want to tell you that my heart goes out to you and that is such a sad and lonely situation when your partner does not return your affection, whether it be physical or, or emotional. I recently um, went through something very similar with my partner where he was no longer interested in me and I kind of hounded and begged and tried every angle and every direction for about a year before I gave up. And when I gave up, I told him I gave up. He knew I gave up. It wasn't even a question of will. It was just over. And when I started truly looking out for myself and focusing on myself and not how to get my partner to want me. When I truly embraced myself and wanted myself and actually started seeking outside connections with people that were emotionally intimate, where I intended to take it all the way, my partner snapped back somehow. I don't want to say you should play games with your partner. You should do things to make them jealous, but we are in an open relationship. I'm not super interested in always sleeping with other people and he's not at all. But when I started actually using the openness of our relationship, somehow I became a hot commodity again to him. So maybe once you truly focus on yourself and just say, you know what, to hell with it, let her do her I'm going to totally focus on myself and fall in love with someone else physically and emotionally. And she sees that. She sees that you are a commodity. Maybe she'll come around. I'm calling in response to episode 768, the question about the phrase, you go girl. I feel like you missed something huge and obvious here. The terms boy and girl refer to children, people under the age of 18. So maybe that person was saying, I'm not a girl because she's a woman or someone who needs a term that's more appropriate to their age. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for me or a comment about this week's show? You can and you should use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment. 
and then email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can also call us at 206-302-2064 and record your question or your comment. Hump 2021 is going on tour to select cities throughout the United States starting in September. The movies going on tour are the same dirty movies we screened online earlier in the year in the spring. But Hump is much more fun to watch in person in a theater sitting next to strangers in the dark like your grandparents did when they saw Debbie Does Dallas. So even if you watched it at home, you're going to want to join us at a theater. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash tour to find a city near you. And the deadline for submitting your brilliant dirty film for next year's Hump is December 8th. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how to get your film into the next festival. Our next Sack Lunch, a monthly online Zoom hangout exclusively for Magnum Savage Lovecast subscribers, is coming up Thursday, August 5th at noon Pacific time. Go to savagelovecast.com to become a Magnum subscriber today. You'll get ad-free, extra-long episodes, more guests, and you can join me for Sack Lunch every month where Magnum subscribers respond to listener sex questions. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Joan Price on Twitter at Joan Price. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week on installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.